So if we just take Isaiah chapter 6, just the first little part of verse 1. We'll give you a little bit of background of what's going on here. And it says, in the year of King Uzziah's death, and we'll stop there. And I promise this isn't going to be one of those sermons where we read three words and stop and talk for a half hour. Though that is very beneficial, and I would encourage uh, people to to study the Bible in that way. That's not the the goal for this morning, but I do want to give a bit of background that does take a, a little bit of time, not too much. But we have King Uzziah. He was uh, king of Judah. And he was a good king. In 2 Kings chapter 15, we are told that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And if, if you look at the, the Judges, for example, in the book of Judges, there's a, kind of a pattern. And it can be a very discouraging pattern. Because you see, uh, they did what was right, they did what was wrong. They did what was right, they did what was wrong. And we have a, a similar uh, situation with the, the kings of Judah. Uh, We don't have a similar situation with the kings of Israel. Um, Most of them were bad. Uh, But the the king of Judah, he he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, so he was a good king. He began his reign when he was 16 years years old, and he reigned for 52 years. So he was a known king. He was a loved king. And and the Bible in 2 Chronicles 26 says that uh, he was known as far as the entrance of Egypt. So we, we have a, a good king in, in, in view here. He was a military king. He led many campaigns against the Philistines and the surrounding uh, enemies of Israel. So he was strong. He was brave. He was mighty. He was blessed by God. And, but though he was a good king, he did meet a tragic end. He transgressed against the Lord. And the Lord um, caused him to be struck with leprosy. Until he died. And so the, the, the question that, that many people might ask, if, if we're looking at Yahweh, high and lifted up, if we're looking at the majesty of Christ, um, why does any of this matter? Why am I taking the time to go into a little bit of this background? And, and the answer comes from a, a commentator. I, I think this person gave the best answer here. Um, and he says, to say in the year King Uzziah died is to say a lot. It is to say, in the year a great and wise king died. But it is also to say, in the year a great and wise king who had a tragic end died. Isaiah had great reason to be discouraged and disillusioned at the death of King Uzziah. Because a great king had passed away. And because his life ended tragically, where was the Lord in all of this? I think we can be tempted in our lives when we see things happen that we may not understand or um, situations happen to us to ask this question, where is the Lord? And uh, I, I hesitate a little bit to go into this next part because it can be touchy, but I'm, I'm going to take the risk and do it anyway, or else my sermon's only going to be about 15 minutes. So I, I'm kind of relying on this to be an okay thing to do, but we prayed for them earlier, so I'm going to do it. Um, but we're about to enter an election year. I don't know if you're aware of that right now. Okay, If you're on Facebook, you've been aware of it for the last 4, 8, 16 years. Um, But if you just look around at the world, if you look around what is in front of us 
constantly, 24 hours a day, because we have these, and we have social media. The moment we turn on Twitter or X or Facebook or Instagram, we are just flooded with the depravity of the world. Um, Abortion is a hot-button issue right now. The murder of children and the fight to keep it legal. The LGB plus agendas making their way into our schools and our entertainment and and being shoved in our face and down our throats. Uh, People mutilating their own bodies because they believe that they were born in the wrong gender. Um, and, And even so far as children being mutilated because their parents have bought into this delusion of the transgender movement and sex change surgery. Um, We're in the Northwest, so you all know about gas prices and inflation. Our rights being seeming to be stripped away left and right. And the church as a whole, I would say, is extremely weak. There's not many churches who are willing to stand on the truth of Scripture and call for repentance of the world and of our leaders. And, and even to go so far as to, to pray that they would turn to God and be saved. And in these moments, I think we can be tempted to ask, where is the Lord? Where is the Lord in all this? Where is the Lord when our children are being taken from us? Where is the Lord when, uh, when babies are being killed? Where is the Lord when our country seems to be falling down around us? And I don't mean to discourage you by saying this, but, but the truth is that there is no man or woman, no president, no governor, no senator, no congressperson who is going to save us. They are not saviors. They are put in their positions by God, whether for blessing or judgment, but none of them are going to save us. None of them are going to usher in the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not saying don't vote. I think that's important. I think that's a responsibility that we have. But our hope this morning, this afternoon, this evening, as we live our lives, our hope is not built on politicians Our hope is built in Christ Jesus. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' love and righteousness. And I know I have a tendency to fall into the trap of getting caught up in the world. I do. Um, Social media does uh, get to me sometimes. And what I need to preach to myself this afternoon as well as uh, what I'm preaching to you is that we need to refocus our attention on what the word of God says rather than what a Facebook post says or what a campaign promise might be. But what has God promised us? What has God said in our word, in his word, and where do we place our hope? So if we look at the second part of verse one, it says, I saw this is this is Isaiah. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up with the train of his robe filling the temple. So when we ask church, when we ask, where is the Lord in our trouble, in our tribulation and in our times of worry and uncertainty? When we ask that question, all we need is to look here at Isaiah chapter six, verse one, and we see that the Lord is on his throne. He is right where he should be. He is right where he has always been and where he will always be. And he is seated in the heavenly places. And this shows that not not only is it just a place of honor 
and respect that we should show God, but it is, it is that he is sovereign over all of creation. We are part of that creation. The sun, the moon, the stars, the universe is part of that creation, and, and our God is outside of that creation. And he sits above it, high and lifted up, holy and glorious. So when we get those cancer diagnoses, Christ is on his throne. When we lose a child or, we, or something happens there, Christ is on his throne. When there is political unrest in the world and we don't know what our lives are going to look like tomorrow or what our country is going to look like tomorrow, we rest in the truth of God's word that Christ is on his throne. He is ruling and reigning and he is sovereign over all things. And this throne is where we as Christians need to see God. I think often we, we, we can be discouraged because we don't see him. I think sometimes we would like to have visions like this, okay, where we can actually see the Lord on his throne, but we don't get to do that. Some charismatics think we do, but we don't get to do that. We have Isaiah's testimony, though. We have the testimony of the apostles, and we have the testimony of all of Scripture that, that serve as a, as a way of comfort and encouragement when we need it. This is also where the world refuses to see Christ. This is where the world will eventually see Christ. Scripture tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. Now, it's a glorious thing for us who have already made that profession and have, have been saved by the grace of God. But what a terrible thing for those who have not bent the knee. Or confess with the tongue. They will. But our time here on this earth, as we look at a sick and dying, sinful, dark world, we, we must remember Christ's commands for us. Go and make disciples. Our hearts should be for a lost and broken world. We should desire to see people saved. So when we think of a throne... What comes to your mind? Think for a moment. What comes to your mind when you, th when you think of a throne or a seat of honor? And that just kind of gives one thing away. There, there is honor there. But what I think of when I think of a throne, I think of authority. The authority that God has over his creation, over everything. And if we turn, if you have your Bibles, and you w are willing to turn with me here to Revelation chapter 4. I do want to read this for um, this passage because it, it helps to put things into perspective because sometimes if you're like me, you can sometimes uh, wrongly separate the Old Testament from the New Testament as two, two separate things when it's one continual story. And so Isaiah is there in the Old Testament, but here in Revelation chapter four, we get a very similar picture from, from the hand of John. And it says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone, and sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. 
Around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon those thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. And out from the throne comes flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which were which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And the first creature was like a lion and the second creature like a calf. And the third creature had a face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne. And will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And because of your will, they existed and were created. This is a beautiful picture of where Christ is in the midst of all the craziness going on in the world. He is on his throne. And we do indeed await the return of Christ for all things to be made new and an eternal justice and that final judgment to be to be served and, and to live with him forever and to inherit our new bodies and, and to be in his presence. But we should not just be sitting around and waiting for him to return just for the sake of him bringing his kingdom in. But Christ, as I said, commanded us and said, go and make disciples. We have work that needs to be done here in this life right now for our king. Now, I know this might be a controversial statement to say, but the kingdom of God is now. And Christ is reigning and ruling over his creation from his throne as we sit here in worship today, as we go to work tomorrow, as our children go to school, as we as parents raise our children. As we do the mundane day-to-day activities of going shopping or running errands and everything else we do, Christ is reigning and Christ is in authority and he is on his throne. Now my question that I would pose to you this afternoon, one of two questions. The first one is, do you live this way? Do you live your life every single day when you go to work and school and, and everything else? With the picture of Christ on his throne and serving our king. Second question that I would pose to you this morning or this afternoon. I'm going to say it over and over. So I hope you're not too concerned with it. Are we more concerned with who is sitting in the Oval Office for four to eight years? Or are we more concerned with who sits on the heavenly throne for eternity? The purpose, I believe of the book of Revelation is to encourage Christians in the time of trouble and tribulation to show God's ultimate victory over evil and sin. In the book of Revelation alone, the word throne is mentioned over 35 times and several other times, including here in Isaiah in the Old Testament. So I would like to 
go out on a limb here and, th- and say, I think God wants us to focus on his throne. I think God wants us to look beyond earthly things and look to heavenly things and where he is seated. Because I think often we can live our lives in view of who the president is. But I would like to live my life in view of who my Lord is and who my king is and who my creator is. We see that he is high and lifted up. The place of honor above all creation, outside of all creation. Now, I would make the argument that Isaiah in this passage is talking about Christ. And I will go back to that here in just a little while. But the point here, if if this is Christ sitting on this throne here, then Christ is Yahweh. Christ is God, and, I, and we can use this passage if we ever uh, face off against, uh, let's say, Jehovah's Witness or a Muslim. We can look at this passage and say, yes, Christ is Yahweh. Because Jehovah's Witnesses, if you, if you ever talk to them, if you've ever um, come into contact with them, they have a version of the Bible called the New uh, World Translation. And there are a few differences between our Bible and the New World Translation. And if you are um, not up to date on your Bible, it's easy to confuse them if you're not knowing what you're looking at. But if you look at John 1.1 in the New World Translation, you will read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. They've added the A in there. Because the Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe that Jesus is Jehovah God. They believe he is the first and greatest creation of Jehovah God, but that he is not of the same essence as Jehovah God. And if you look at Colossians chapter 1 in the New World Translation, in verses 15 and 16, you will read, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all other things were created. Where our Bibles will say all things were created. Because Christ is the creator of all things. But that would mean that he would have to be Yahweh in the Jehovah's Witness eyes. And so they can't have him in that position in order for their system to work. Church, the point of this is that Christ is not just some other God. The point of this is that Christ is not just some idea. He was not just a good man or a good prophet who lived on this earth and taught really uh, radical and, and cool things. But that Christ is Yahweh, and he has been from the beginning. He is eternal with the Father and the Spirit. Christ did not enter into creation and existence at the start of the New Testament. But Christ has existed as the eternal Son, second member of the Trinity, forever. And he is indeed worthy of our honor and our praise and our worship. And there is so much glory that we see here in Isaiah, if we read to chapter two or verse two now, see, we're, we're moving along. We're in verse two now. It's only been 27 minutes. And it says the seraphim stood above him, each having six wings with two. He covered his face and with two, he covered his feet and with two, he flew. Now, if you notice, the seraphim are not looking upon Yahweh. The angels do not even look upon him. And it's interesting to me that when Moses was shown God, 
God told Moses that he couldn't look at his face because no one could look upon God and live. And it seems to be the same for the angels here as well. Charles Spurgeon, the great uh, Baptist theologian, um, we were having a talk about that a little bit earlier, and here I dare to quote a Baptist. Uh, he says this in his commentary, or his, his teaching on this. He says, For the seraph remembers that even though sinless, he is yet a creature, and therefore conceals himself in token of his nothingness and unworthiness in the presence of the thrice Holy One. How do you approach God? How do you approach Yahweh? How do you approach your God when you pray? When you pray, when you pray before a meal or here in church or before bed or whenever you pray, is it simply just routine? We do this because this is how we were raised. This is just what, what our minds go to before bed. Or do we recognize that we are speaking to the God of the universe? That we have access to him through Jesus Christ. Um, how do you approach God when you live your life? When you live as a witness to him? Does the way you live reflect the faith you profess? Or is it just here on Sundays that you lift your hands in praise and prayer and every other day go about doing whatever, not giving God a second thought? Or here, third, how do you approach God in your worship? What was your attitude this morning as you thought about church this afternoon? Do you sing songs with joy? Now, I will point this out and, and take encouragement here. Okay, um, You are a smaller congregation than my church in Tacoma, but you are much louder. And you sing with much more joy and reverence and honor to God. I, I was sitting up here and I was listening and I was thinking, wow, I can hear the men. <laughs> and I think that's a, that there are two things for me uh, that's a sign of a good and healthy church. And that is you can hear the men singing and you hear little children screaming. <laughs> Those are two very good things, in my opinion, for a good church. But do you, but how, how, how do you think or act when you're sitting here in worship? Okay, are you counting the minutes until we're done? Or are you here in, in reverence and awe to the God that we are worshiping this afternoon? Do we respond like Isaiah, which I think is the right way to respond to God? He says, woe is me. How often do you hear that when it comes to a right way to respond? Woe is me, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh of hosts. And I know when I get tempted to look at the world, my temptation is to think, well, they're a whole lot worse than I am. The truth is, the only difference between us and those out there is grace. That God has called us to himself. Because if God never did, we wouldn't be any different. We are wretched sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And praise be to God that we have one. And this is not a woe is me that is just, 
You know, you're trying to draw attention to yourself, like, look how humble and meek I am, and woe is me. No, this is actually a reflection of our own souls. It's a reflection of our own sinfulness. It's a reflection of our own position before a holy and righteous God. That the only good, the only righteousness, the only holiness that we have is Christ's. And the same Christ who died for your sins is the same God who rules over all of creation today on his throne. Now often, when we get to verse 9 and 10 in this section, this can be a discouraging mission that God sends us on. And especially to the preacher. Um, Just at Presbytery, uh, a pastor recently expressed a kind of frustration with the work that he was doing at his church. He's not seeing numbers, not that that's important, but he wants to grow his church. He wants to see people come to Christ, but he can't break out into the community. He's frustrated, and I think we would be too if God has called us to a place. But I think sometimes God calls us to judgment. I think sometimes the gospel can turn people away and pronounce the judgment upon a people. Ultimately, it is God who keeps people from hearing and seeing. God is the one who draws people to himself and opens their eyes and their ears. Jesus says that all that the Father brings me will come. Hearts are hard indeed because we are dead in our trespasses and sins and we are sinful. So don't think that God uh, causes us to sin. Don't hear that. We sin because we want to sin. We sin because it's, uh, it's comfortable for us, because of our old lives. But God is the one who gives us a new heart, who makes us into a new creation, and clothes us with the righteousness of Christ, that we may please him. Ultimately, this is what happened, um, or what seemed to be the case in Jesus' earthly ministry. If you look at John chapter 12, starting in verse 38, it says this, So that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. First he quotes Isaiah 53, and he says, Lord, who has believed our report? That's speaking of the Messiah. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and he hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and return, and I heal him. So Jesus, again, quotes from both Isaiah 53 and our passage of Isaiah 6. But if we move on to verse 41, Jesus says this, and this is a, this is a profound statement that I think we can often overlook as we read our, our Bibles. But it's so important. He says, these things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke about him. And who is he? The Messiah. Christ. So if you need a good passage and a good apologetic to show that Jesus is God and that Jesus said he was God, Jesus identified himself as Yahweh, this is a good one here too. Go back to Isaiah and back to John. But Isaiah saw Christ's glory. Isaiah saw Christ sitting on his throne and that ultimate fulfillment of who he is. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. That is the exclusivity of Christ. Um, the, the world religion will say, as long as you believe in something, I'm sure you'll be fine. But Jesus says something quite the opposite. He says, believe in me. Believe in me. Not what the world says. There is only salvation found in Christ. 
And Jesus is the one who is high and lifted up this afternoon. Now, I don't know what all of you are going through today. I know what I'm going through. I know my own struggles. I know my family's struggles. I know all of those things. But I don't know you. I'm a guest here and a very welcomed guest. Again, thank you so much for your kindness. But I know just from the prayer requests that were given out that there is struggle. That there is hurt, there is heartache, there is trial, there is tribulation going on. And I just hope this encourages you. I hope we can focus our attention not on the worldly things that are out of our hands. Yes, we pray. We pray for God's will to be done. And we pray for the ones who we love. And we should do that. We are told to do that. But our focus should be on the one who sits on the throne. Because he is the only one who can answer those prayers. And if you are here this afternoon and you have no idea what I'm talking about, I would encourage you that you are a sinner. And that should be encouraging to us because we're all in the same boat. We're all level at the foot of the cross, I've heard said. I don't really know what that means, but I've heard it said, and it sounds pretty good. But we're all sinners. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. And Christ is our Savior, church. Christ is the only one. And he calls us to repent of our sins. He calls us to turn to him in faith, to believe on him. And we have a promise of God that those who do confess with their mouth and believe in their heart in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died and rose again, will be saved. It is your only hope. And I pray that today, that that happens, that God opens your hearts and your eyes to the truth that is the gospel. Let us pray.